it has been uh, a, a tough three weeks in some ways, and as you can tell, my voice isn't even uh, back. As a matter of fact, uh, I didn't realize my voice wasn't back until Thursday night when I tried to teach a Zoom class. And, you know, when you're just talking with your wife, in the, uh, you're not projecting or anything. And, and then when I started to teach, nothing came out hardly. And I went, whoa, that's really something else. Well, apparently, uh, let me just double check. I, I hate to do this for you, to you, but let me just double check that this didn't get disconnected here. Oh. didn't. Okay, I am connected, guys. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. It is plugged. All right, uh, at any rate, getting, getting the voice back, uh, hopefully things... Uh, We'll get better and better this week just dealing with the aftermath of uh, trying not to die this last week. So there you go. <laughs> uh, that's not on my computer either. But I mean, at least the time, the clock isn't anyway. I don't want everybody watching the clock here. This is, this is, this is, not, this is already not good, you know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> It'd be fine if it was just back there, but it's up here too. <laughs> Incredible. Welcome back. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. At any rate, you know, one of the frustrations of a preacher, uh, first of the year, you know, January 1st, uh, two, two Sundays ago, uh, I, I had made, you know, all these plans, spent, spent a lot of the month of November and December planning lessons that I would do this week and, uh, or this year. And I, and I get to Jan, get into the week close to January 1st and go, wait a minute, it lands on a Sunday and nobody's going to, and I'm trying to do a theme. You know, I'm going to do a theme. It's not just any lesson. You know, I'm not just doing any lesson and I'm trying to do a theme and I realize we're going to miss. And we did, we had like 60% of the church gone and I'm like, oh, that's not going to work. So Brent and I talked about, as I did last week, what we would do. And, uh, and, and so then every gets, every, and then I, of course, didn't get to even preach uh, because I was so sick. And, uh, and so then every get, thing gets pushed up. And, uh, and so then I come to, you know, I've got schedule. Okay, today I'm going to do the theme lesson for the year because we'll surely, the third week, uh, third Sunday of January, everybody will be here. We, this country has way too many holidays. This, I mean, goodness gracious, you just, everything, that's another three-day weekend, half everybody goes, something like this. So, uh, all you people who left, nanny nanny, uh, the, the rest of us here are going to talk about the theme for the year. The elders have appointed, in fact, this particular theme. Every, or each part working properly, every part doing its share. That comes out of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. And you might just notice that verse in Ephesians 4.16. We'll talk more about things that, that, uh, that apply to this. But Ephesians 4.16, he talks about what Christ the head has done for us. 
when he says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the whole body joined and knit together. You notice those words? It's joined and knit together, and every joint is equipped, and then each part is working properly, and then the end result is it causes the body to grow. Well, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, there's, there's books written, religious books written on how to grow a church and how to do this and all this, and Paul went, wait a minute, I gave you five verses on how to do that. You know, verses 11 through 16 will tell you about how to actually more like chapters 4 through 6 will tell you how to do that. And But especially in these verses here, and I, I'm, I'm so blessed, we're so blessed to have shepherds who believe this and want to practice this and want to do this because I, I know that all of us have had experience in, in being places or visiting places where this is not going on. And if you mentioned it, 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 it they would like go right over their heads. They, they, not even a consideration. And when we don't know this, when we don't know those practical parts that he talks about here, we're going to turn into the denominational world's picture of a church where it is literally a service-holding institution and not a functioning body. And, and that, that is just one of the worst things. And yet, uh, churches, even churches that, that are attempting to follow God very carefully, are not paying attention to this. And it's bothered me for years and years that this isn't more of the consideration. And anyway, I, I, re, I really appreciate when the elders talked to me about this and said, this is what we want to do this year. And I said, that's obviously fantastic. Let's, let's jump in here. So this is kind of a theme kickoff to, to that particular uh, picture. And, uh, and let's look at some of these things that we see. We're going to concentrate primarily on 4, 1 through 16. Some of you have been here a while. You know I've preached some lessons from this and stuff. But this is, I'm, take, I'm approaching this entirely differently. We're going to look at some things here I haven't talked about before. And, uh, and hopefully we can get a better appreciation for what is really going on here. So the first thing I want you to notice is just this word body. And uh, when you see this, well, you don't have it on the screen, do you? All right, that's all right. I can preach without it. I've done that before. Uh, so the first thing you notice is in the text, the word body is used a, a number of times. And especially, just, just noticing carefully here how this is used, it is a critical part of the text. Now, when you and I use the word, when we read in the Scripture, just, just read in the Scripture, and we read the word body or body of Christ, do you read over that fairly rapidly? Sure, I do. And, and in fact, maybe even deep in our minds, we read body and we go, well, the body is the church. Yeah, we, and, and Ephesians 1.23 says that, uh, or 22 and 23. Yeah, the body is the church. So we read that and we go, yeah, body, church. I said, so there's a whole big difference between church and body. Church is real vanilla. Body gives description to it. Vanilla's descriptions. It's like ice cream without flavor. You know, that would be what it'd be. 
So church is just collective. Church is just us. Church is God's people. But body tells us something more. Body is intricate. Body is functioning. Body has all kinds of elaborate parts to it to make it work. Body, when we think of body, we think and understand that there is something far beyond just a part. The body isn't a part. Body is this unit that has to have hundreds of thousands of various intricate parts to it so that it will function. And if you take away very many of those parts, body will die. Same is exactly true in God's, with, among God's people. This is why it is so important to go back to this basic idea of what body actually is. You know, guys, it doesn't, mind me, it doesn't bother me if the clock's up. <laughs> Just go ahead and put the screen on. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I know when I'm going to end. Oh, anyway. <laughs> body is this critical part. So when, when, you, when you look at the, like for example, if you're looking at your Bible, 4 verse 4, there is one body. So he starts with, and I'm assuming here he's using this universal sense. There's one body. There's one group of God's people. But he uses that word body in chapter 4, verse 12. He says the saints are equipped for building up the body. The saints are equipped for building up the body. I loved what Chip said the other night on, I think it was a Wednesday night, where he talked, or maybe Sunday morning introduction, he talked about saint Set apart. You're a saint. You have set apart. But when we read the word set, we're like, okay, saint, set apart. Set apart for what? He took us and he set us apart. He pulled us out of another group and set us apart for a particular purpose, for a work. So when we think of body, we think of an intricate part of the body. And he took us out and he placed us into the body to do a particular work within the body. So it makes it far more interesting and, and inclusive to talk about why, what am I then in the body? And the body, this, these saints, these individual saints set apart, are building the body up. And then in verse 16, you'll notice he says, the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. Every equipped part of the body then gets joined. I, I, I really like the King James here. Joined and knit. You know, like that word knit. You know, we're, we're being joined and knit together as these this, this parts that is equipped. And then also in verse 16, he ends with saying, when each part is working properly. So none of us like it when parts aren't working properly in our bodies because it handicaps us. So each part in a body works properly. And the, and the, of course, big challenge we always have is getting ourselves as a part working properly and everyone, every other part working properly so that the body actually functions the way God intended for it function. 
So the, it, it, is, it is so interesting to see how much emphasis he puts on. I'm going to mention one other, and you can notice this in verse 25, where he says that we actually, how we act and treat one another is important because we are members of one another. Here he used the word members. Members of the body. So, so again, just not, uh, uh, are, are you, you, we, we, say the, we say the phrase, are you a member of the church? And what, are the, what conclusion do we sometimes draw? Oh yeah, I, ha I, I got my picture on the board back here, or my name in the directory or something. No, member implies something that's functioning. My dad at age 22 had a brain hemorrhage and it paralyzed his right side and his right arm was still attached to his body. It did not move. It just dangled. My sisters would play with his hand and, you know, and move his arm and, and bop him with it and everything else, and he'd get the biggest kick out of it. But, but it, it was useless. It was in the way. So that you can see why in a body, that's not good. You know, that's not functioning. Powerful left hand. Boy, could he whip you. You know, you get something else. So you, you, you get, you, you get uh, other parts trying to make up for it, but it's not the same, is it? Uh, God gave two arms for a reason. It, it, it is important. So these, these are pictures that he's giving to us about the body. You know, throughout this section, Paul is relating something that that all of us have concluded when we read the book of Acts. And that is, the preaching of the gospel does not just create salvation. It's not just something that brings people to Christ. It creates a community. It creates a collective, and that's what you're seeing all the way through Acts. Everywhere the gospel is preached, it's not just, oh, he saved people and they went on their way rejoicing. They created then a community. They created a collective. But not just any kind of collective, not just saying we all believe the same thing. He created something in which in a body we are stronger and more effective than any individual part. Common belief today. The common practice today. You have people in your neighborhood. I have them in my neighborhood. I'm a Christian. Do you attend worship anywhere? No, I can be a Christian just because I can be a Christian. You're not a Christian. You just think you are. That's not the definition. You can't be a Christian and not be part of a body when it's available to you. The eunuch could be a Christian before he was part of a body, but I guarantee you when the eunuch got to Ethiopia, he made a body by teaching other people because that's what those Christians did in the book of Acts. You can't be just a part. You're not strong enough, and God knew that. And plus, his purposes cannot be accomplished outside of, in an effective way, outside of just having an individual. Individuals do parts, but it is a body collective that is stronger as community than it would be than individually. This, this brings up the idea that, that the body then has a purpose. 
you, you know, if you had children, you didn't have children just because you thought, hey, it'd be really cool to have this thing over in the corner here that would entertain me from time to time and toddle around. And uh, at night, I can just flip the switch on uh, his or her back and she'll shut down until I want to play with her again. I, I didn't even know that until uh, Brent was born. I, I, you know, when he's crying, I'm like, where's the switch? Can we not turn this off? No, no, it doesn't work that way. You're raising this new body for a purpose. There's an end goal here. When you read then in Ephesians 4, verse, verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of, now notice these words here, worthy of the calling with which you are called. We have a calling. Why didn't Paul start the letter of Ephesians with chapter 4, verse 1? Because he spent chapters 1 through 3 telling us about his calling. I, I, I used to love to preach chapters 4 through 6. That was easy. So I'd read 1 through 3 and go, what was he saying? No, in 1 through 3, he's telling us the calling. And most of you know this. But it's like was read for us this morning, chapter 1-4, he chose us before the foundation of the world to this calling. Does that suggest to you the importance of the calling? Before the foundation of the world. This wasn't a reactive creation. He's created us for this calling, for this purpose. And, and, and then he three times mentions that we have been called to be to the praise of His glory. Verse 6, verse 12, same thing. So we might be to the praise of His glory. Again in verse 14, that we might be to the praise of His glory. Because the world and God's people, even in the Old Testament, defame God's name. They destroyed God's name. They blasphemed God's name. And Ezekiel 36, God actually, <coughs> almost, <coughs> almost made it. God actually said in, verse, in chapter 36 of Ezekiel that the reason he chose to save us was so that he would vindicate his holy name. Actually, initially, he said, I didn't save you because of you. You didn't do anything to cause me to do this. I did it so that I could vindicate my name. We're here to vindicate his name before the world, that he's worthy of being vindicated before the world. So it's so important to see these various things. And then he goes on, in fact, and he gives purpose to us. Chapter 2.10, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. Again, before time began. He prepared us for that very reason. In chapter 3, 10, and 11, I'm just rehearsing some things here so that we get set up for what we're going to do in the application here. But in verse 10 and 11, it's to fulfill an eternal purpose to show the principalities and powers, the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, God's eternal purpose, God's eternal manifold wisdom to show the greatness of God. The reason we praise God, the reason God desires praise, is because He's the only good. There is no other good. He's the only good. 
I mentioned this morning in the young people's, young adult, young adult class, I said, what, what if, you know, you have children and your children always go next door and do whatever the parents say to do next door and we'll listen to you? You wouldn't be happy about that because they don't have your best interests at heart. You, you're the one that has your children's best interests at heart. God has our best. He's the only one who has our best interests at heart. So we praise him because we want everybody else to have that best interest and because God wants everybody else to be in his best interest. That's the idea. It's fulfilling that eternal purpose which was fouled up by Satan before time began. And three, chapter 319, we're to be filled with all the fullness of God. You can see how that gets to the goal of fulfilling God's purpose. Filled with all the fullness of God. When you study your Bible, are you studying to fill yourself with all the fullness of God? That's the purpose of it. It's not just so, guy, do you know your Bible? Yeah. Do you read your Bible? Yeah. You can know your Bible and read your Bible and never be filled with all the fullness of God. That's an incredibly difficult and challenging thing to do. To walk away from reading the Scripture, as James says, and then forget what manner of person you are and not be filled and changed by what you read. You took the sword of the Spirit and it never brought any blood. It needs to bring some blood. And that's the picture that he gives throughout this. And then... In chapter 4, verse 24, he actually tells us that we're put on this new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're to become his image bearers. That's how he started us. He made us in his image. We cracked the image. He's making us back into that image. We're image bearers. So why? So we can fulfill his purpose. It's his purpose, not our purpose. It's what He is doing in us. Now, if you're like me, when I read all that, I think what an amazing but scary challenge. How do you become like that? How do you become the image bearer of God? Whoa, that's a high calling, is it not? That is something that is way up there in my mind. And none of us, we, we look at it and we feel so inadequate. But that is the reason that at the end of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said, now to him who is able. You're not able. I'm not able. But now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Yeah, God says, look, I know what I'm placing before you is so beyond what you can ask or think, but I can do more than even what you ask or think. You have that confidence. You put that confidence in God, start stepping out and really trusting Him that you can become in his image, and you can be a part of fulfilling that purpose. That's the idea that he's getting for us here in Ephesians as he does that. All right, there's our, there's our groundwork. Now, let's, let's, uh, let's go from there and let's just notice this. What is the key to attaining God's purpose in this? And I remind you, this is God's purpose. What is the key to attaining this, this particular purpose and how we're to look for 
His purposes and not ours. I suggest to you that when you look at chapter 4, you have two primary sections, two primary ways that this is fulfilled. In 1 through 16, he's primarily talking about how God's purpose is fulfilled in the functioning of the body. That's what we're going to mainly talk about this morning. We'll have three main points on it. So here's the functioning of the body. That's the last part from, chapter, from that point on through the end of the letter. He's talking mainly how we live individually in holiness and submission. So how our lives are looking when we're in, in every other part, whether we're at work or at home or wherever we are, how we function in these ways so that we are surely, surely doing what God said to be to the praise of His glory as image bearers wherever we go throughout the whole world. Wherever we are, we become His monument, His image bearer. He calls it a monument in, he, in Isaiah 55. So we are set up to give him this particular name. Now, when you look at this, here's the three things. Three main words that he uses in this text to show us how we come then to fulfill God's purpose. Again, God's purpose. Do you want to fulfill God's purpose? Of course you do. Everybody here, we want to fulfill God's purpose. Not just, I don't want to do just, I don't want mine. My, not my will right? God's particular purpose. So the first thing that stands out in this is the fact that he uses the word love, and we'll mention that in just a second. He uses the word love, and when you look at verse, chapter 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Okay, you've read that. And we talk about the individual parts of that. And yeah, I've got to have humility and I've got to have patience and I've got to bear with one another. You know, have you, have you seen what God's doing here though? God has forced us into a relationship with one another. Forced us into a body. Connecting us and joining us with each other. He's pushed us into a situation and a relationship that is extremely difficult. He's forcing us into this relationship that in order for us to survive, do, do you ever think being a Christian in a local church, you, sometimes it's just survival? Well, uh, it, sometimes it is. But in order for us to survive the experience I've got to be made in His image. It's like marriage. God forces us into a relationship that is uncomfortable. We think at first, oh, it's just going to be, who? You know, popsicles and ice cream all the time. No, it's, it's forcing us into this very difficult relationship because through those relationships, whether in marriage, in the church, or in friendships, or whatever, He's pushing us to actually have to become like Him in order to survive it. We don't survive relationships well without being like Him. And so He's pushed us into this very, very challenging, difficult relationship. It's why it's so sad 
when divorce happens or so sad when churches divide and split because they failed the purpose, the end goal of getting through those tough times and coming out on the other side, the better person, the person that's like him, the person that has been formed like him. You know, you don't get there the, any other way. You cannot sit as a monk on a mountaintop and become like Jesus. You cannot isolate yourself in a house and become like Jesus. You cannot just do your work every day and go and come home and that's it and be like Jesus. It doesn't work that way. The body is the means to bring us to that goal. Is that just opposite of what you're seeing in a denominational aspect or a denominational definition of church? Yes. It's why it's so dysfunctional. It's why it's so bad. It's why it doesn't help and it does not produce God's purpose. And so you see this word love, a very critical word that's used both at the beginning and at the end. We see it here in 4.2. We see it in 4.16 when he concludes by saying, so that the body grows, so that it builds itself up in love. Beginning and end here in the section. He builds itself up with love because that is the necessary part of tying us together so we can survive and actually then be productive. And in our own bodies, we do things to make it function better. Whether it's exercise or diet or mental uh, uh, carefulness, whatever it is, we do it to make ourselves more effective in what we have to do. And that's just what God's saying here with this body. Every part has to be nurtured. Every part has to be cared for so that the body is actually functioning properly. The second main word that he uses here is the word unity. Again, he uses it twice. He says it in verse 3 when he says that we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says it again in, four, in chapter 4, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. In, the, in giving this, he is again talking about that knit and join together part. Now here's, again, the problem with this idea of unity. Sometimes we have a worldly definition of unity. <clears throat> unity is not just, mm, uh, I'm doing what chapter 4, 1 through 6 says. Unity is just not some shared beliefs. Unity is not, <coughs> good. Unity is not, just the idea of a lack of disunity. In a lot of my observation, in a lot of churches, I have seen unity trying to be accomplished by emphasis on social interaction with one another. Let's have tons of potlucks. Uh, let's have, you know, let's... Let's have groups that get together and eat together. Nothing wrong with that. But we're not having 
If the same place is not having groups that get together in order for spiritual purposes, that's not unity. It's club. It's just a club then. And we can like each other a lot and become good friends, but it isn't getting to the purpose that God has. God has a purpose in this. And He's trying to create us a body that has purpose and fulfills His calling, His purpose. So simply saying, man, do we have this a great uh, family unit here is not necessarily accomplishing the goal. I was thinking this last week, though, side point. I was thinking this last week of how you're all such good friends. I feel the strongest friendship I guess I've ever felt in my life with you. Every one of you. It's just it's an incredible, wonderful feeling. Can't praise you enough for it. And plus, your eagerness to fulfill God's purpose is so exciting, I can't stand it. Watching you step up to the plate and do what you ought to do is, is just the most encouraging thing in the world to me. I know it is to the elders too. That's what we want to preserve and grow in. As Paul would you know, always say, to, like he said to the Philippians, he compliments them, so he says, now abound more and more. And that's, that's, that's what we got to do. We got to we keep working on that because I guarantee you, Christians forget it very, very rapidly. This can change. This, this dynamic, if we're not working on it, can change very, very rapidly. Talking to a good friend and preacher just last night, and he's just, he's been in the church for like four years now. Total frustration. Before COVID started, they'd gotten rid of Sunday night worship. They were worshiping just one lesson in the morning thing. When COVID hit, they cut that down even more. And the church has become so lazy. Just absolutely self-centered. And I've seen that in a lot of places. COVID killed some churches. They found out, oh, I, I can just meet on Sunday morning. You know, the problem with that is you're not reading Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. You can't accomplish what this text says. We cannot be joined and knit together. What if I went home to Teresa and say, you know, I have a blast with you. I love being with you. I'm going to schedule a two-hour meeting with you every week. It'll be great. You know, we want to make it special. And then I'll call it services. I'm sorry. I've always had a problem with that worship services. Don't stand up here and then get all weird about if you say the word. I'm, not, I'm just saying it, it denotes sometimes, or it gives a connotation sometimes, that, that there's this service being done. No, 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 no. This is a body. And we're members, each member of the body. I'm one little eek, eek, eek. Don't be like, God gave me one talent. Do this. I don't have any other. You have the other. 
And you might question the one he gave me, but that's, that's, that's just the way it is. You bring that up with him. So that we need to work in that direction. Unity is how the body works together to accomplish God's work. That's what he's saying in 11 through 16. In 1 through 6, he's saying, here's your attitudes and character. And then 11 through 16, he's saying, and here's the unity that has to do with how the body functions together. My son, Rob, you know, he, des he designs uh, uh, conveyor systems as an engineer. And I, sometimes when he was working at my house, I'd hear him tell him, well, if you do it that way, the machine's going to break down. It can't handle that stress. You can't do it that way. You're going to have to make this bigger and this this way. It's always a work in progress of making sure the body just doesn't, you know, and, and crash. So every part is, again, working together with the other parts to bring that about. Now, here's the third. The third key word, gifts. Now, when I say gifts, I know what you're thinking because I know what I think. When I see gifts, I go, okay, yeah, every part has this one little gift or two little gifts or something that they give in the body. I'm going to suggest to you that's, that's true in many of the other places where Paul uses gifts. And whether Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 or 1 Peter chapter 4, he uses gifts that way. He doesn't use gifts that way here. It cracked me up noticing this. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You say, okay, there it is. Grace is given. Favor is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So uh, God has measured out these gifts to us. That's my first thought as I read that. He's measured these out. By the way, circle those, those words. Each one of us. You're not an exception. Now, each one of us. He's measured this out. And then, notice verse 11. And he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. What did he give? He gave people. That's what he gave. He gave people. People are the gifts. You know, every list of gifts that you see, none of them are complete. Whether Romans 12, again, 1 Corinthians 12, whatever. They're never, a, they're never a complete list. Here, Paul talks about people being the gift. He, God gave a gift to the church of apostles and prophets. He gave a gift to the church of evangelists and shepherds and teachers. But that doesn't mean there weren't everybody else a gift too. He's not, list, he's not giving a complete list here. God gave you as a gift. Have you ever thought of yourself as a gift to God's body? That's exactly how we think of our own body. I'm gifted. My eye is a gift. My eyes are gifts to me. My arms are gifts to me. You are a gift in the body. Isn't that marvelous? This is marvelous to think God takes you and he takes you, and that's why he talks about equipping you and getting you ready for that and then putting you in the body because you are a gift. Are you gifting the body with yourself? 
You are a gift. Every single one here, you are a gift to the body. Ah, that makes the body look so much prettier. Hey, Dad, you're the proud father of a nine-pound, six-ounce foot. No, body. We don't want one. And it makes the body beautiful. It makes the functioning of the body beautiful in every way. You look at that. He equips us and grows us into His gift to His body. So nice. Let's go back for a second. Why? Why is He doing that? Why does He put it that way for us? Because the body gets us to the goal of His calling. The body gets us to the goal of His calling. That's why we're gifted the body. His calling is being fulfilled here. And further, the body itself is not the goal. The body is the means to the goal. This isn't the goal. This is the means to the goal. Can't live without it because I can't get to the goal if I do. That's the beauty of this, what this text, I think, says in an overall scope. We're forced to live together. We're given then to, to, to live in love with one another so that we can survive and function and get to that end goal. And we're gifted so that it can happen. And then we are able then to fulfill that body. So four quick takeaways here. Use yourself as a gift. You're a gift. Give yourself away. Give yourself away. Secondly, what you do well makes you the gift to the body. Use what you do well in the body, not just in your regular life outside. Use what you do well in the body because you're a gift to the body. Thirdly, how can you stretch yourself in your talents and abilities so that you can work in some areas you can be equipped better and do things that you haven't done before in your life and gift the body your abilities even more. And finally, how can you work together with other member gifts? Because that's what he said. The whole body works together. It's joined and knit by which each part is working properly causes the body to grow in love. That's the idea. We're going to spend time in our groups this year and other times and some lessons to talk about how we can discover how we are a gift to the body and the things that we can open our eyes to see that we can be a part of the body. So there's, there's a lesson. Is, is this your picture of the body? A lot of times it isn't. Let's make that a picture of the body that God has asked us to be. We're going to sing a song right now, and we'd love to help you if there's anything that you need, spiritually, obviously, and uh, if so, talk to us afterwards or step forward at this time. While together we stand while we sing.